Welcome to the video podcast, Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed, where truth and unity matter. Take the deep dive with highly influential voices in and around the 9-11 truth movement. Welcome everybody back to Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed, where we bring you lots of unleashed content. And uh, today is no exception. My guest, Mark H. Gaffney, author, Black 9-11. We're going to bring him on in just a second. First, we need to bring on our wonderful assistant and wife, Ms. Gail Gage. Hello, Gail. Uh-oh, didn't come off me. <laughs> I there knew it, are. right? <laughs> How you doing? Good, very good, thank you. How about you? Yeah, it's incredible. And I, I talked to him backstage, our guest, and you did too. Yes. Um, he's going to be awesome. He's got a lot of mm-hmm. valuable information from uh, from uh, post-9-11 and pre-9-11. I mean, he's he's gathered it all. He's done the research. I'm excited about having him. How about you? I'm very excited. Yes. He's a very sweet man. Yeah. You got to know mm-hmm. him too. Yes. And um, let's talk about Richard Gage 911 Unleashed uh, real quick. What have we got going on here? <laughs> well, we have coming up uh, an interview with um, Dave Morgan of the Morgan Report. That's mm-hmm. coming Dave up. Dave is a silver June. expert. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be going into the economy and talking about the economic impacts of 9-11 and what's coming toward us, given war, food shortages, inflation and everything. This is the guy to listen to. Sorry, I interrupted you. You had one more point. No, it's OK. You asked about the our Unleashed podcast, and that's what we have coming up. And we also have in... Um, coming up very soon at the end of May, we have the Advanced Medicine Conference with Dr. De, uh, Rashid Batar. This is in just two weeks. I know. It's coming up very, very soon. Actually, sooner than two weeks. And we just got back last weekend from the DCG speaking engagement down in San Diego, California. Yep, where we gave uh, the, the truth about all three World Trade Center skyscrapers to uh, uh an exclusive group of, of cryptocurrency traders and they got the info and it was awesome. Uh, They had lots of great questions and uh, we just love going and presenting wherever we can. So you guys at home, by the way, if you know where we need to be presenting, uh, let us know because we are needing to get out there like a three times this month. Uh, (laughs) It's, it's a lot of traveling, but you know what? We can handle it. And yes. you know, uh, the you mentioned the Advanced Medicine, medicine conference. conference. This is the fourth annual conference in advanced medicine. Yes. Where did we meet its founder, 
Tell us Dr. about Dr. Rashid Batar down in at the Anarchapoco conference in Acapulco. Mm -hmm. Yes, so we were down there with Richard speaking, and we were able to interview Dr. Rashid Batar. And then after the interview for our podcast, he asked Richard to join him at the Advanced Medicine Conference and be a guest speaker there. So that's how connections are made, which is another really important reason why we go to these speaking engagements is so that we can meet people and potential uh, speaking engagements. We've got a thousand doctors we're going to be mm -hmm. speaking to about the case history, the case study. 9-11 mm -hmm. is a case study. Yes. And they're all over the conspiracy uh, of what's going on with the disease and the false solution to it right now in our world. We're going to be hearing some incredible speakers, Dr. Yeah. Sherry Tenpenny, uh, Dr. David Martin, well, he's a PhD, not a medical doctor, but uh, several other doctors, Dr. Andrew Kaufman um, and and others, uh, Carrie Madej and Dr. Uh, Artis, uh, who has a controversial uh, set of evidence that he's brought forth in just in the last month. Um, it's going to be awesome, not to mention Dr. Rashid Batar himself. You guys can go if you're near or want to go to San Antonio. Guess what? We've got a free ticket for you to attend the conference this Memorial Day weekend, 27, 8, 27, yes. Mm -hmm. 27, 28, 29 May, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. If you help us, at the table, because we're going to need some help at the table. There, there's 1,000 people here. They're going to be storming our evidence booth to uh, gather up all the DVDs that we're going to be having uh, for sale down there. So, yeah, we need your help, and we got a free ticket for you. In fact, the first three people that uh, email Gail, G-A-I-L, at richardgage911.org. Uh, I shouldn't say the first three people. The first three people we approve. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we want to talk to you first. Yes. Uh, so do that, and she'll get back to you. We'll both we'll both talk with you. <laughs> also, um, for those of you who don't want to help at the booth but do want to go, you get a five percent discount, um, and that's good. Uh, mm -hmm. Better than no discount. Uh, if you want, if you want to go to San Antonio, if you're in San Antonio, <clears throat> let us know. Uh, we we can. Uh, connect with you and have lunch and stuff too. And there's also virtual options. So you can virtually live stream the conference um, and be an attendee that way, which you also can use our promo code, which mm -hmm. is GAGE, G-A-G-E, when you register for the event. Make I sure think it's all caps too, G-A-G-E. Is it? Okay. So all caps, G-A-G-E, GAGE, and you get 5% discount. And I know that the... Uh, Online virtual tickets are a lot significantly less. So, and that way you don't have to travel either if you'd like to join yeah. from home. A couple of hundred bucks instead of a thousand bucks or something. Yeah. So, our, our booth, you can see a piece of it right here. This is oh, the general image of the backdrop to our 9 11 booth. And um, it says something like, We've got the evidence. There are more of us than you can imagine. And we're coming after you. 
Yes. <laughs> Who are we talking to there? <laughs> so uh, other announcements, Gail, or is that it? Um, well, we do also have another conference that we are confirmed for. It's the National Fire Protection Association Conference, and we will be tabling there, not doing a booth, but we will be tabling, which is going to help get 9-11 Truth out to those folks. Well, it is a booth. It's the booth of the Protecting Our Protectors Alliance, led by Eric Lawyer of Firefighters for 9-11 Truth, Raul Angulo of the yeah. the author of the uh, How to Fight Fires. He's, he wrote the textbook. Uh, he's very well known in the industry. This is the National Fire Protection Association in Boston. Did we give the dates? June 6, 7, eight? Um, It's going to be 6th through the 9th. It's during the week. 6th through the 9th. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be there the 6th through the 8th uh, because that's when the booth is. Uh, it just won't have our particular branding. It won't be 9-11 specific. Right. We're going to be educating people about the dichotomy between Building 7 coming down at freefall, on the one hand, due to a few small scattered office fires. And on the other hand, the current policy and the policy for the last 20 years and before of firefighters going into high rises, setting up command bases in the first floor of these high rises that are on fire, that could fall on top of them. Do you see the problem here? Well, we're trying to get the National Fire Protection Association to see the problem also. Gail? Yes, yes. Well, also, we are working on, and there's been a lot of requests for this, we are in the process of putting all of the social media platforms that we are on, Richard Gage 9-11, so that you can find it on the website. We'll probably also have it in our announcements for the podcast, new ones coming up where you can just see right there, the links will be there so that you can click on and find them and have other options other than the, our usual Facebook and LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Also, so that if we get kicked off of YouTube completely, which could very likely happen since we've already had some strikes and gone to YouTube jail for a while. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, 12 so, different platforms, yes. I think. This is pretty so exciting. We will have that available for those all, for everyone. But yes. Yeah. So. And that list you're making, Gail, so we can put it under the bottom of the description of this very YouTube, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so we're going to have that together tonight, too. Hey, I want to tell you guys about our guest. And, uh, oh, Gail, first, tell everybody about how to ask questions based on thank the you yes you guys know the drill so under the video in the comment section put your questions in there i'll be gathering all the questions from facebook youtube twitter and linkedin and copying and pasting them over into the private chat so that our guests can answer your questions also maybe if there's a few comments i'll grab those too yeah all right let me ask you guys a question what is the dark underbelly of 9-11. Well, our guest, Mark Gaffney, takes us on his journey, his own journey down the rabbit hole of black 9-11. Is there evidence of foreknowledge of the attacks? For instance, insider trading, betting that the airliners would go down in value the next day? Yeah. We're going to find out. Is the Securities and Exchange Commission 
did they really create a list of 38 suspect companies? What major financial corporations made the list? What was the outcome of this investigation? Were the put option payouts actually made? And to whom? What other financial crimes occurred during and after the attacks? Which institutions were likely involved? Which bank was implicated in the massive fails on Wall Street following 2001? Did the 9-11 Commission investigate it? Demands for auditing the Fed and Wall Street banks grew in the mid-2000s. What were the obstacles and what were the successes? Our guest has gone into it. We're going to be discussing it today. There's been numerous questions also about the capabilities of the alleged hijackers in the attacks of 9-11. The Pentagon was targeted by Hani Hanjur. What problems are revealed by a deeper look into this particular hijacker? Our guest on Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed is Mark H. Gaffney, the author of Black 9-11, Money, Motive, Technology. It documents the overwhelming evidence for insider trading in the days before 9-11 and other crimes of the U.S. financial elite. The book presents evidence that technology to remotely access and control commercial jetliners already existed in 2001 and may have been used to fly the planes into their targets. He has also written five other books, including the 9-11 Mystery Plane in 2008, which documented the presence of two U.S. Air Force command and control planes, the E-4B, in the skies of Washington, D.C. during the attacks. The E-4B was the world's most advanced electronic platform. It was unusual to have it up there in the skies on that day. In 2007, Mark's seminal research shamed CNN into airing video footage of one of the E-4Bs filmed near the White House on 9-11, footage that had been gathering dust in the CNN archives for six years. You can order these books at Amazon.com, and the link is in the description below. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to my guest, Mr. Mark Gaffney. Hey, Mark. Hey, Mark. And while... Happy to be with you. There we are. Yeah. We have a delay with Mark because he's he's got the satellite internet, so we're going to try and uh, give a little distance between our our coming and going. But before uh, I ask Mark the faded question, when did you first learn the truth about 9-11? I'll ask Gail. <laughs> He's chuckling. Uh, uh, Gail, how do people uh, answer the questions once more? Did we, anything else we need to cover? Once more? Uh, no, I think I covered it pretty well, other than to remind everyone to please keep it civil, respectful, kind. Everything you say should be generated from love. So, yes, yeah. I shouldn't have to block anybody. <laughs> we should all be adults. I've been blocked a couple of times uh, by Gail, but I, I work my way out of the situation uh, with with uh, earnestness, sincerity, 
Apologies mm -hmm. and lots of love. It works. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Always. All right, my dear. We'll uh, let you go do the job that you need to be doing over there, gathering these questions, and we'll check in with you soon. Okay. Bye. There she goes. Bye. All right, Mark, it's you and I. Um, what do you think? What? When did you learn the truth about 9-11? Well, I was involved in a peace group here in Klamath Falls uh, in 2000 five, six, and somebody handed me a book by David Ray Griffin, uh, you know, the, the new Pearl Harbor, and uh, that got me started. And my first uh, written paper was a critique of the NIST report that appeared, that was posted online in, I think, December 2006, and it's been up there ever since, so. Oh, awesome. So uh, about the same time. Um... It was 2006 yeah. when I heard uh, David Ray Griffin on the radio in the San Francisco Bay Area. I mean, I was shocked. I'd never heard any alternative theory as to how these towers came down. Were you, did you just come out of it like a babe in the woods like I did? Or were you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm a skeptic. You know, I had always harbored questions and doubts, but I hadn't. It, it, that's the book that kind of got me going, you know, and started to research. And then from then on, it was self propelling. Ah, yeah. fantastic. Um, now, Mark, I do hear a, a, a little bit of clicking, so I don't know if that's you. Uh, if not, don't worry about it. If so, um, maybe do something different. <laughs> okay. Um, let's get into it. What is the dark underbelly oh of 9 -11? Mark, the dark underbelly of 9-11. Well, you know, in reviewing um, the book, and I don't keep these facts in my head, you know, I move on. I've been doing other research. I got another new uh, new book out uh, about a very different subject uh, called Deep History in the Ages of Man. Uh, but when I was today, I spent today reviewing Black 9-11, and the thing that leaps out at me uh, for my own research is the uh, the multiple uh, attempts by the U.S. government to try to bring down uh, Russia, you know, and this was going on in the 90s. It was going on in the 80s when they uh, organized a an oil glut, a world oil glut to drive down the price of oil to cut into the Soviet Union's revenues. And and they finally hit the wall in 91 and they just didn't have any more money. You know, we dried up their piggy bank. And, um, and then this other, uh, what's happening in Eastern Europe right now, um, uh, and um, made me realize that, um, you know, there've been multiple efforts for a very long time. And this has been a long standing policy. I think it goes back, to the creation of the Federal Reserve in 1913. And I believe the goal has always been to, uh, you know, regime change. And it's a long standing policy and and uh, we're seeing it playing out today and uh, tragically in, uh, in our well, world, let's, so. Let's break it down. Where, where, do you, where do you want to start? Let's dive in. Well, what you have, we have some 
questions, why don't you just, uh, you know, we'll throw one out and we'll, we'll go with it. All right, then. Let's, uh, let's, let's do it. Um, let's talk about the, uh, the foreknowledge of the attacks. You cite some, some, uh, evidence. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about the, uh, insider trading. Huh? Yeah. Of insider trading. Oh yeah. Remember that we have a time lag here. So I'll, I'll be, you had a three or four second time lag. <laughs> yeah. Fire away. Okay. Well, uh, were you able to post that list of uh, 38 companies uh, Work, that were I'm working on it right now on Mark. the SEC list? Yeah, I'm working on it right now. You keep going. I'm going to have that ready for you. Okay. Well, let's start with Martian McLennan. You know, it's on the list. This was the uh, site of the uh, first impact in World Trade Center 1. The offices of Martian McLennan, run by the son of uh, Jeffrey Greenberg of Maurice Hank Greenberg, who was one of the uh, uh, chairman of the uh, he had been chairman of the New York Federal Reserve, and had a law a list of bona fides you know as long as your arm, and and uh, I believe he was implicated. You know he was definitely an insider in this scam. This this. Uh, 9-11 attack. This thing was an inside job all the way. And, you know, uh, there's so many different uh, leads, places you could begin an investigation, just pulling out stuff out of the first few chapters of my book, that uh, if you follow even one of those leads, it's going to lead, it's going to take you past the official narrative to a much deeper analysis of what happened that day. So this, um, we know uh, <laughs> that, uh, you know, start with the first plane impact. Marshall McLennan, 95th floor of World Trade Center One. And who was there? Well, what was they, what were these offices? And, and uh, this was an insurance company uh, and, uh, Hank Greenberg's other son ran a different insurance company. Both of these companies were later, uh, you know, in court, uh, brought, brought, sued or found out to be engaged in criminal activity by none other than the New York Attorney General Elliot Spitzer, who later became governor of New York. And uh, they had to make huge payouts uh the uh, Greenberg uh, head of it, Marshall McLennan, had to step aside, you know, and on and on and on it goes. And they, his daddy, uh, Hank Greenberg, head of AIG, later also forced to step down and got the biggest, after AIG got the biggest bailout, and, and later they got the biggest bailout in, in uh, U.S. history after the uh, meltdown in 2007, 2008. So... And they're an insurance company. I mean, you know, it goes on and on and on. This criminal activity, white collar criminal activity, and these are not thugs. This guy was the uh, direct. He was a high level. I, I, I forget his exact title, but he was uh, one of the leaders of the uh, um, the uh, council on for um, uh, the. <laughs> uh, 
Council on Foreign Relations. Did I get that right? New York, the uh, yeah, the roundtable group yeah. uh, the, of the elite CFR, and um, yeah, and um, and on and on. I mean, you know, there's so many other things that he was into and titles that and positions he held. And it's amazing that this guy. I think he, I don't know if he's still alive or not. Why is he? Was he still walking around on the sidewalk? You know, free man. Where was the 9/11 Commission? You know, this should have been investigated right up, straight ahead, straight up. And of course, it never happened. So this is why history is repeating here today in 2022 in Eastern Europe. There's the list. And AIG is also on that list. Marshall McLennan, AIG. And, uh, you know, we know thanks to Richard Grove that these two companies were had been integrated thanks to some very uh, custom-made software that Richard Groves helped to put together. Uh, and they had a deadline of July of 2001 to have that system in place. And they were able to, so they were in a position to move money around, launder money. Uh, they were set up. They were preparing for the attack in September. Hmm. No question about it. And there were illicit uh uh, Grove became aware of illicit activities in at Marshall McLennan when he was installing this new software. The, in the billing practices were irregular, and some of the mem- some of the employees there agreed with him, and they were going to they organize they set up a meeting with the uh, the, the staff, you know, the uh, administration, uh, the bosses, the CEOs uh, that was going to take place on the morning of September 11th. And, uh, of course, those guys were going to participate in that meeting. Uh, they were going to be Zoom participants. You know, it was going to be uh, they were going to remain in their uh, apartments uptown Manhattan while the the rest of the staff there it was there at the uh, Marshall McLennan offices uh, at the 95th floor of World Trade Center one. And Richard Rove had evidence, documents he was bringing to show uh, to Whole, you know, he he knew that something was illicit was going on, and he got caught up in traffic, was late, and he didn't get to the World Trade Center until uh, the time when the, the second plane hit building the second tower. So, all those so people, he, he had friends, insiders there at Marshall McLennan. All those people died that day. They died in that fireball. And he was supposed to be there at that time. Just lucky he was. He survived it. Yeah. Yeah, Richard uh, is actually uh, listening on YouTube, and uh, we're delighted to have him vicariously here. He can send notes, by the way, Richard, to Gail, questions and comments if you'd like. Uh, Gail will feed them to us, so uh, that'll be fun. Go ahead, Mark. Yes, uh, I see one uh, message here of David Mudry. Mudry. Let's let's ignore those messages. Until we, we ignore those the questions. Now? Yeah, that'll just be distracting. Oh. Let's uh, walk us through this right. list. Let's dive in deep. Go ahead. Well, some of the companies uh, took huge hits uh, because of the attacks. That was at the top of the list, American Airlines and United Airlines. And we know that the, um, and this was leaked during the SEC investigation, that uh, 
one of the banks, a bank purchased many of those puts for United. And that was, um, I believe it was United. And that was turned out to be the bank where the number three man at the CIA, Buzzy Krongard, worked, you know, had worked before he had been selected and recruited by uh, uh, George Tenet. <laughs> so, um, I mean, right there, you see the pattern because the SEC, when they plunged into this investigation full steam ahead in the early days, you know, they were enthusiastic and everybody thought that the uh, paper trail was going to lead back to, to Al Qaeda. Instead, it led directly to the U.S. intelligence community, the CIA. <laughs> and Buzzy Krongard was a banker, you know, and his protege at uh, his bank. You know, let's, it's kind of complicated because his bank was Alex Brown, one of the uh, maybe the oldest investment bank in the comp- in the country, uh, was absorbed in, I think, 1997 by Bankers Trust, one of the most corrupt banks you know, in the world. And they were about to be shut down two years later because of, you know, fraud. And uh, then they were absorbed by Deutsche Bank. Uh, That's that's the only thing that saved them from being closed down. And I don't know how they got away with that, by the way. I'm not a banker, so I I cannot explain that. But and then, um, you know, it was Deutsche Bank where Mayo Shattuck stayed on and he was uh, took over the old job that uh, Buzzy Cronkart had catering to these private investors, you know, and moving, tr- making money transfers and laundering money and doing all these, uh, you know, wire transfers and so on. Private banking, they call it. And um, he resigned unexpectedly the day after the 9-11 attacks. Mayo Shattuck resigned without any explanation given. So, you know, <laughs> It's it's pretty clear that Krongard was kept in touch with Mayo Shattuck and, you know, they were going to make a make some money on the side here because they had inside information about what was coming down. Hmm. So gotcha. uh, and the 9-11 Commission, you know, they just whiffed at the whole thing. Well, now uh, I understand in the at the 9-11 Commission, they 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 looked and, and they actually said something like the the those whom they followed the leads of these put options to were not Al Qaeda. So they didn't have to follow them any further. Is that true? Well, that was true in the case of uh, Bush's cousin, G.W. Bush's cousin, Wirt Walker, who was one of the inside traders. And we know this thanks to some nice detective work by Kevin Ryan. But he, he, um, uh, he made, he walked off with 50,000, you know, and uh, uh, profit. Uh, um, I believe the, what he did was buy additional shares of Stratasec. He was uh, this, he was on the board there along with GW Bush's brother, Marvin Bush, you know, on the board also. <laughs> and Tell us about uh, Stratasec like and why that's uh, a <clears throat> important connection. That was a secure, uh, they had a sec- security contract. And I, I'd have to go back to my book to, to give you the details on that. But well, um, this was the contract on the World Trade Center uh, towers themselves, right? I believe so, yes. Yep. Yeah. And uh, 
And the night and the FBI, you know, they uh, they never did a single interview. They just said he's not a terrorist. Therefore, no need to pursue it. <laughs> Thank God we have our FBI protecting us from the terrorists. You have to laugh about this. I mean, otherwise, we, you know, we, you, you, you know, you'd have to cry. If you don't, can't laugh about it, you get, we'd end up crying. Yeah. Well, I read um, chapter five, and here's the book, by the way, Black 9-11. You can get it at Amazon. It's pretty awesome. Uh, it, it talks about none of the officials responsible at the time for protecting the U.S. were subsequently held accountable. None were disciplined, sacked, or reprimanded. The only just <clears throat> desserts meted out after 9-11 were awards and promotions. This was the biggest intelligence failure ever. So who, who right. was, and uh, the, who was, who was uh, promoted? Well, George Tenet, for one. He was this, you know, chief of CIA, and uh, he presided over the greatest security failure in in CIA history. And he was promoted, or he he got. Let me see, he got an award. Uh, let's see, uh, what was the award he got? He got the highest award given by the U.S. government, and uh, <laughs> and you know, if you look at Medal Tenet's of Honor or something like that, that's right. And if you look at Reed Tennant's memoirs, as I did, he didn't have a did not have a clue what was going on that day. He confuses the North and the South Towers in his book. It's amazing it got past the editor. He didn't even know the layout of the World Trade Center. So this guy was completely in the dark, completely buffaloed, and uh, you know uh, <laughs> he was not. He was the head of the CIA, but he was not really. Uh, you know, a leading a, a force in the deep state. So this, the this thing was organized completely circumventing Tenet. He had nothing to do with it. I'm, I'm convinced, even though he lied during the 9/11 Commission hearings to cover his own ass. You know, probably. And uh, uh, George Bush uh, Jr. Uh, he certainly was probably kept in the dark. Also, you think? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Because G.W. Bush, you know, like he just did. I don't know if you saw there was an there was a video posted today on the Internet uh, where he was taking a poke at Putin. You know, about what's going on in Eastern Europe. And he, he made a slip of the tongue. And instead of Ukraine, he said Iraq. <laughs> well, the comment so, you know, was uh, devastating to his, his own that? point. He said, yeah, I did. He said, uh the the unjustified, unprovoked, and vicious uh, attack on Iraq. Oh, I mean Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to laugh. I mean, what else can you do but laugh? It's it's just that surreal. Yeah. The world we're living in right now, beyond anything I I ima ever imagined, you know, could could happen. So the, the 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 put options were actually paid, and Wirt Walker was one of the payees. Do we know who any of the others were, or the ones who made the put options no. in the first place? I don't think he purchased put options. He bought stock in Stratasec. So you know that's a different sort of a move. Okay. 
but uh, that would be like a call option, I think. Gotcha. But, um, you know, um, American Airlines and, and United took a nosedive. And uh, people that bet that that was going to happen walked off with, according to, there were three uh, academic studies that looked in, professors looked into the evidence for insider trading. And all of them, you know, uh, uh, concluded based on their own research that indeed insider trading had happened. There was strong evidence for it. And the second study by a, a man named Mark Chesney, I believe it was Mark Chesney, his group, they uh, they concluded that the payouts had happened. So those puts were exercised. The, uh, the perpetrators... Uh, the bad actors walked off with their ill-gotten gains, their blood money. <clears throat> and uh, he estimated that at about 15 million. Uh, uh, however, the uh, professor of economics, Paul Zaremka, who did one of the early books on the 9-11 tax, uh, he informed me that he thought it was closer to 30 million. But this is just million? pocket change compared with <clears throat> the uh, securities uh, fraud that undoubtedly happened that day. So, but still, it's very important. Gotcha. All right. Is that it on the put options? Well, you know, we, we can go on and on, but there's so much to talk about. <clears throat> Why don't we move on to talk about uh, collateral damage? You said you read chapter five. Yeah, go ahead. You get through that? Uh, halfway. Well, there's so much material in there that um, to talk about. <clears throat> Where do you want to start, Mark? Uh, my publisher thought we should do a critique of this paper by <clears throat> a man named E.P. Heidner, H-E-I-D-N-E-R. Now, I believe that's a pseudonym. I don't know who this guy really was, but if anyone is curious, you can still find his report uh, on the internet, just Google collateral damage E.P. Heidner and it will come up. And he he posted this around, I don't know, 2000, I don't know, 2007, 8, 9. Uh, we learned about it and uh, decided to critique it for my second 9-11 book. No one had looked at it yet. So I think I did the first critique of it. And his thesis uh, was that insiders and people around H.W. Bush had set in motion a, um, a scam to basically um, take down Russia, you know, to make sure that Russia could never rise again. And they, this involved 200 plus billion dollars uh, that uh, securities that were supposed to come due on, believe it or not, on September 11th, 2001. And uh, they were being investigated because they had stepped across the line. They were engaged. In, this was, they had, they were actually doing, involved in illegal activity. And there were a number of federal agencies investigating this operation, this covert operation, including, um, the Office of Naval Intelligence and uh, the another task force uh, associated with the C 
Customs Office and the IRS uh, that was based in Building 6. Uh, I think Mark froze up on us. Building Keep 6. Talking. Is, oh, there we go. Hear you now. That, go ahead. We lost you for okay. the last minute. Hopefully the audio is going to go away. But anyway. Um, after building so six, Heidner, we lost everything after building six. Well, that's where this uh, task force was based. Uh, the IRS and um, there was another, uh, I think I just mentioned the name of it before. Uh, they were investigating the evidence that uh, that this group was had broken the law and uh, Heidner argued in his paper that this was the actual target at the Pentagon. It wasn't just the uh, the accountants, you know, that were nearby in a nearby office. It was Office of Naval Intelligence that were investigating this illicit operation. And, uh, you know, they, they lost almost everybody, the entire staff practically, and all the chain of command were, were dead that, that morning, so. Fascinating. So let me catch up with you on this, Mark. We've got we've got uh, Donald Rumsfeld announcing the day before 9-11 that $2.3 trillion were missing from the Pentagon budget over the course of, of I don't know, a decade or more. And uh, he and we know that those auditors were in the Pentagon in the area where the plane or the explosions happened. But now you're saying that there was a even larger in, well, another investigation uh, looking into the uh, I- illegal uh, uh, international finance operations to take down uh, the Soviet union or, or, or Russia post Soviet union and that they were taken out as well. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you look at the layout of the Pentagon, it was a Herculean chore to to fly that plane the way they flew it and come in from the uh, over Arlington, that Arlington skyline and hit the Pentagon from the uh, west side. It would have been much easier. And the flight pl- the planes come right up the Potomac River. It would have been so simple to. Uh, you know, loop around and come up the Potomac and then just plow into the uh, the eastern uh, offices there where Rumsfeld had in all the, you know, the brass were located, were office there in the, on the other side of the Pentagon. Wow. That would have been the logical target, not the uh, accountants, you know, for Al-Qaeda. Yeah. Right. So tell us more about this, uh, these financial crimes, uh, uh, if, if you have more depth there. Okay, well, uh, you know, Building Six is an is an interesting uh, uh, because it's interesting because um, we don't have we don't have any you know video footage showing that building uh, what was going on there that morning, but there is a a brief video showing uh, smoke rising from the building before the tower, uh, the towers fell, before World Trade Center 1 fell, which was right next to it. 
And the official explanation is that steel girders from the collapsing Tower 1, you know, caused the damage in Building 6, which was right next door. But it appears that the explosion in Building 6 happened even before the collapse. And if you look at the aerial photo of... Uh, from above the World Trade Center, you can see a huge crater right in the middle of Building Six. Yeah, I mean, I'm going, you can't you can't miss it. I'm going to show and the 9/11 Commission never even looked at this. They never even looked at that. They never looked at it in what sense? They never investigated it. You know, there was no no mention of it, as far as I know, in the 9/11 Commission report. I think they only mentioned they only mentioned Building Seven. Uh, briefly, very briefly. Yeah, <laughs> they, meant, they didn't mention <laughs> that it collapsed or that it was the uh, third worst structural failure in modern history. Um, and they didn't got, mention that the. Sorry, I, so, and they so, didn't mention that Building Seven was where the SEC had its offices, Securities and Exchange Commission. Yeah, there's a Building Six. Good. There's a crater right in the middle of it. Yeah, and crater, uh, the I don't believe that crater was caused by um, <clears throat> falling debris, though you can see falling debris in it, of course. Uh, but it, it is gutted, the very center of this building. It almost is like they wanted to take down the whole building and maybe it just didn't go all the way. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> it's a crater. I think that's a crater, don't you think? Oh, yeah, that's that's deep, too. It's not just you know, the upper floors, it's, it's all the way down. looks to me. And the nine 11 commission, uh, when, you know, uh, they failed to discuss the, uh, uh, the fact that the securities and exchange commission was based in building seven and all the records were there. And those floors of the securities and exchange commission were the ones that burned. <laughs> you know, those were the ones where the fires were located, the floors where the fires were located so all the records they had of all these investigations into Enron and all this corporate fraud and corruption, those records were destroyed and they had to drop a lot of cases after 9-11. Very convenient for corporate America and very convenient, uh, uh, you know, for, I mean, there's a motive right there. Yeah, uh, it looks like... Uh... That's certainly one reason. Yeah, floors 12 and 13 had the Securities and Exchange Commission, and those were indeed the, the worst uh, fires that we have uh, in the building. Not that any of them were horrible fires, but they were not. It is quite right. a coincidence. So, obviously, you know, we need a new investigation. <laughs> How about that? A real one. Yeah. Any ideas? I have to applaud, you know, your way you have stuck, you know, you know, just kept your focus on this issue for so long, Richard. It's admirable. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It's it's been a long, grueling haul, and I'm not done yet. I, I think I'm halfway done. Uh, I got 15 good years left uh, to another 15 uh, to keep it going. Uh, until we have a real investigation. In fact, that's what we're doing. We're putting our evidence, we're packaging it up, Mark, into, uh, well, it's already been packaged into 60 exhibits. Now we're making a film about those 60 exhibits. So um, 
we want people to support the effort to uh, put the, that evidence on film where we're talking to the special grand jury to whom a, 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 a petition has been uh, provided uh, by the U.S. attorney, by us to the U.S. attorney to give to the grand jury. We're suing him, and of course, because he hasn't yet, to our knowledge, complied with that uh, requirement of the law. Uh, so uh, we're in the Second Cir Circuit uh, Court of Appeals to make sure that the uh, the the right uh, to petition the government is enforced. Um, because what good is that right if you can petition a special for a special grand jury, and uh, on the crime of the century? I mean, come on. Um, and not and have it completely ignored by let the. Let me US add Supreme. another, Richard. Let me add another. Please. Let me let me, let me get uh, before we move on. Let me add another uh, uh, detail about Building Six. Um, oh, uh, there was a, F, a FEMA photographer named Kurt Sonnenfeld who actually uh, went down into the ruin of Building Six and uh, with a group and. Uh, they were able to work their way down deep into the the destroyed building, and they found they got to the customs vault. The door was open, and the vault had been cleared out, and presumably there had been gold in there and other, uh, you know, who knows what all else. But it had been cleared out before the attack. So there was another uh, important uh, piece of evidence. And uh, Sonnenfeld actually, be, he came under such harassment when he went public with this information that he had to leave the United States and ended up down in South America with his wife. Well, he was and accused. There accused were attempts of, to, to frame this guy. Yeah, they were framing him for murder uh, of his former wife, uh, me meaning his, his wife in the United States. Um, uh, and, and I guess he had no uh, rational path forward for justice. So... He he left the U.S. Uh, and is I guess he's wanted still. But he has released several photographs, well, maybe a hundred, um, and uh, we have gone through those looking for the kind of evidence that we like to look for. And uh, I did see the the vault uh, with the door wide open. He certainly got a shot of that. That was before uh, I, well, yeah, that, it, it, the, the vault had been cleared out before the, 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 the uh, towers uh, collapsed. What else you got, Mark? Well, Richard, there's so much, I don't know where to begin, you know. Um, Take your shot. I wanted to hear you talking about Heidner's uh, collateral damage. Because I think there's, I think there's evidence that you know there, when you don't punish criminality, the criminals come back and do it again, and the next time they do it on a on a larger scale. And I think we've seen this with this, uh, and I don't want to <laughs> this, I don't want to say a keyword here that's going to get you. Uh, uh, Yanked from YouTube, Thank but you. I think we, uh, two years. 
Uh oh, we got you frozen. Okay. So the 9 11 attack affected. Go ahead, you're back. The fallout from the 9 11 attacks affected millions of people. This latest, uh, you know, iteration of the gang, you know, doing what they do has affected billions of people on the planet. So, and what's happening in, in Eastern Europe is just bearing that out. Mm -hmm. You have more to say about that? I, I, I would like to see uh, this grand jury, 9-11 grand jury investigation, start in, uh, subpoenaing witnesses on some of these lines of evidence. And one guy that really needs to be brought before uh, the court, uh, you know, the grand jury is Robert Gates. I think he's still alive. He was William Casey's right-hand man uh, back in the 80s when Casey was CIA director. Undoubtedly, Robert Gates is an insider that knows everything. He knows everything that Casey knew. Uh, he was Casey's closest confidant. And um, he was, for example, um, uh, fully knowledgeable about the October surprise. And I think a lot of the same players that were involved in Iran Gate in the 80s were also around and involved uh, at the time of the 9-11 attacks. Same group of people. And um, Gates is, is somebody that really needs to be grilled because he could open up a lot of, you know, it could, if you could get him to talk, you'd have to find some way to get him to talk, but would love to. And a, so, so many things, so many things came out of that uh, era, you know, the. Yeah, we got a little delay, a little frozen mark just for, of Irangate. Here he comes. We missed that before yeah. Irangate. Well, yeah, um, the key, uh, probably the most important. Uh, I'm just going to show the, the the cover of this book, and I want to recommend everybody get a copy and read it. Prophets, Harry Manashi, Prophets of War. Of War. That's inside the inside the scoop on Irangate. Okay. Inside. This is the best, the most important U.S. Israeli arms network. Go ahead and talk about it. Yeah. The most important expose, in my opinion, uh, of the last 40, 30, 40 years. And uh, printed, it came out in 92. Ben Menashe was a close aide to uh, Yitzhak Shamir personal aid, you know, he would do personal work for Yitzhak Shamir. He was intimately involved in Iran gate. And we know that the Israelis were handling the mon money transfers and the arms supplies to Iran. And remember at this time, Iran had the uh, hostages from the U S embassy. They were holding the hostages. And uh, as a result of the October uh, surprise of uh, this whole October surprise was a behind the scenes are a deal between uh, with H.W. Bush and Bill Gates with the Iranians uh, to trade arms for hostages. And the agreement was they would not release them until uh, 
uh, Ronald Reagan's inauguration, and that indeed happened. But Menashe was an insider to th this whole process. And uh, he also was a key source for Seymour Hersh in his book about the Israeli nuclear weapon program, The Samson Option. Okay. Hmm. And uh, th the story is that there were two slush fronts that were created because the arms were being sold to the Iranians at a steep markup. There was profiteering going on. The Iranians were desperate. They had been invaded by Saddam Hussein uh, and the Iraq-Iran war was underway and the Iranians were desperate to get arms. And so they arranged this deal. Uh, and um, there was so much profit. There were like a couple of billion, almost a couple of billion in profit. Two slush funds created. One set up for the CIA, another one set up for Israel. And um, Heidner believes that the, the um, and there's evidence, I think there's strong evidence that the CIA slush fund ended up <clears throat> um, in the, under the control of uh, Robert Maxwell, the media mogul who was a CIA, uh, excuse me, a Mossad in, uh, agent. He was associated with the Mossad. And that this money may have ended up helping to fund the uh, coup against Gorbachev in '91, and uh, you know the the other fund, the the uh, the other uh, Israeli slush fund. You know, I'm just speculating off the top of my head, but I would not be surprised if that money, that that was the money that funded the uh, destruction of the World Trade Center, you know, and all the covert ops surrounding that. I wouldn't be surprised a bit. And uh, James Corbett I mean, does I don't know it, cover some My intuition the... tells me it should be investigated. Yeah, yeah, it's got to be investigated. James Corbett uh, in 9-11, Follow the Trillions, he points to securities or bonds or some large multi-multi-billion dollar uh, operation to bring down the Soviet government. Uh, you mentioned that that was in the World Trade Center. Uh, those funds in the, in, in, in the attack, they were said to have been destroyed so that, the, that those funds did not need, need to be, those bonds, I think they were, did not need to be completed. I don't know the technical Right, term. because that's know. right. That is possible because we know that major security brokers you can do it mark get it out almost wiped out their staffs were almost wiped out so there's there is a strong basis for what staffs the, uh, uh start, sorry you, you got that, cut off what staffs were almost wiped out Um, the uh, securities firms, uh, Andrew Fitzgerald, security brokers in the World Trade Center um, were wiped out. Cantor Fitzgerald was one. Okay. Uh, Garbon Intercapital was another one. And then Eurobrokers. And they suffered massive loss of life and all the records and securities were destroyed, you know. So...
have been chaos in the Mark, um, go away. Do, Mark? That, hold on a uh, second. Hold on a second. A good way. We're going to gonna have you turn off your video so we can concentrate your limited uh, bandwidth on audio. So go ahead and leave studio. Click, click at the bottom. Stop cam. And uh, we'll 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 uh, concentrate on on your audio. Yeah. Okay. Let's see if that uh, okay. keeps it more consistent. Explain that again. We lost you the, the whole thing. Well, Heidner's thesis was that um, the plan was to create chaos in the securities market. And uh, so we know that major security brokers were wiped out uh, when the buildings collapsed. I mentioned the names. I'll mention them again. Uh, Cantor Fitzgerald, Garbin Intercapital, Eurobrokers. Uh, and they accounted for like 41% of the casualties that day. <clears throat> this doesn't even count the banks, you know, the, the financial uh, 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 platforms were also, also were hit very hard. But if you wanted to create chaos in the securities market, well, this is a good way to do it. If you wanted to make uh, $200 plus billion dollars in securities, that were due, that had come due on September the 11th. If you wanted to make them disappear, this was a good way to do it. Would have been a good way to do it. Yeah, good point. Anything more to share? Well, um, we could talk about, um, you know, we could talk about the promise made by H.W. Uh, Bush <clears throat> not to expand NATO to the east. Go ahead. Yeah, well, uh, we know that uh, this was... This was understood by all the players, including the uh, <clears throat> the leaders of the European countries, France, Germany. You know, everybody knew that this promise had been made, that the U.S. agreed that if <clears throat> we would allow that the Russia, uh, the Soviets agreed that they would allow the reunification of Germany. If the United States would agree not to expand NATO one inch eastward. And um, this was never written down, but it was a, <clears throat> you know, it was a handshake. And it that's was a, a deal as far as I'm Are you serious? I and thought that's there a was deal. a formal treaty. <clears throat> no, I don't think there was anything formal, unfortunately. Huh. Interesting. But um, so uh, it was Clinton, of course, that reneged, you know, he was the, and I believe that then under Clinton is when the neocons got control of our foreign policy. Tell us this happened the, in 98. Uh, tell us how exactly Clinton uh, and the neocons uh, reneged. Well, we know this in part thanks to testimony by Scott Ritter, who was the chief weapons inspector in Iraq. And he was over there in Iraq, you know, locating and deconstructing Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction program. And the UN and everybody had agreed that the agenda was going to be to 
deconstruct the weapons of mass destruction. However, in the in the mid to late nineties, Clinton came under pressure from the neocons, these uh, hardline Zionist Jew uh, 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 insiders, basically. Uh, Richard Pearl uh, and uh, Wolfowitz, and you know the list goes on. There's a long list of them. And they were putting pressure on Clinton to change U.S. policy from, you know, deconstruction of Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction to regime change. And uh, they, Clinton bought into that, agreed to that, apparently. And then the next thing that happened was Ritter became aware that some of his staff people were actually spies that, that had been placed there by the U.S., not for the purpose of locating the WMDs, but locating the whereabouts of Saddam Hussein so they could target him. Hmm. And we know that, you know, the U.S. launched a ser- uh, series in, I think it was Operation Desert, uh, what was it, Fox? Uh, I can't remember the name of it. This was in, Dece- this was in late 1998, a bombing campaign. And that is when uh, Ritter resigned from his position. And from that moment on, he has been persona non grata because he's been very critical of U.S. foreign policy from that moment forward. Absolutely. I've seen a and I believe, of incredible videos by him. Yeah, and I believe that he is probably one of our best experts on not just the Middle East, Iran, Iraq, and so on, but also on Russia because he spent time in Russia. He was over there on an assignment to um, to implement the INF Treaty. And this was a treaty worked out by, uh, apparently, um, Bush, H.W. Bush and Gorbachev to do away with an entire class of, of weaponry, the, the mi- intermediate range missiles. And the uh, on the Russian Soviet side, it was the SS twenties. On the American side, it was the Pershings, the Pershing two missiles, which had been installed in Europe, in Germany, and um, you know they were just the the flight time to Moscow was just five six minutes, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it put everything on a hair trigger, and they were able to agree to get rid of them, uh, and that's why Ritter was in. Russia, uh, doing that in the 90s, or excuse me, the late 80s, and um, and then later when the neocons got control of our foreign policy in the 100s, they decided to just cancel, you know, unilaterally withdraw from the INF Treaty and the ABM Treaty, and, you know, this has been the story, so we have no arms control to speak of today, and we are in uh, a uh, basically uh, a, a a very dangerous, dark and dangerous place. Oh yeah, and I just heard Sw- Sweden and Finland both agreed to join NATO, which makes it even uh, a worse uh, uh, set of conditions f- uh, that could more easily lead to nuclear war by provocation of the bear. 
I wanted to try to uh, tie in the 9-11 issue and the evidence with what's happening currently, you know, so people can see the importance of the failed 9-11 investigation. You know, if we had had a real investigation, it would not have taken the very long to expose what happened. I mean, if you ask any, start at any one of a hundred different questions and start pursuing it, it won't take you long to expose the official narrative and to get to the truth. And this is something that just hasn't happened in, in the United States. We don't have, we don't have, uh, we don't do diplomacy. We don't do investigations. And we've seen the result in the last couple of years of where this goes. Yeah, we sure have. Uh, anything else you have for us today, Mark? Shall we ask some questions? Well, we can go on and on, Richard, but uh, I think we've covered a lot. Okay. If you feel complete, um, let's bring what Gail about back. Do you want to try? What? Do you want to try to do a question? Let's do some questions. There's Gail. Hello, I'm back. Hello. What have you learned over there <laughs> on YouTube? We got some good questions going on. Oh, yeah? Yes. Well, very Are cool. you ready, Mark? Sure. Okay, here we go. As ready as First... ever. <laughs> okay, good. First one. Do you know if Larry Silverstein said he had the new plans for Building 7 by nine months after 9-11? Or did he say construction for a new Building 7 was started nine months after 9-11? Well, I think Richard is also in, uh, aware of this. Uh, I believe my understanding is that uh, he made a slip of the tongue and uh, acknowledged inadvertently that the plans to reconstruct Building 7 were uh, in the offing even before the attack happened. April is that your understanding, Richard? Uh, is what uh, yeah. he, he, he said. Uh, that was incredible. Some people say, oh, that was a slip of the tongue. But no matter how you look at it, Building 7 was built way too fast. Impossible to build a high design and build a high-rise uh, as fast as it was. Okay. What does Mark know about the second aircraft that hit the Pentagon? Uh, there was a second aircraft that hit the... Wait, wait, Mark. Let's get this question clear first. There was... What did Mark know about the second aircraft that hit the Pentagon? I think there was only one aircraft that was alleged to have hit the Pentagon. What do you think they're talking about here, Uh Mark and and Braun, if you want to uh, clarify that question, uh, let's get that to Gail. She'll look for it. <clears throat> okay. Well, I don't know anything about a second aircraft hitting the Pentagon. I'm sorry. I, you know. <laughs> yeah, there, there were the first two aircraft hit the Twin Towers, and it was like an hour after that uh, th that the 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 most powerful. Uh, most defended building in the world, the Pentagon, uh, it somehow got hit after an hour after we knew that the country was under attack. I mean, come on, let's get a few Secret Service agents up there on the roof with a Stinger missile, for Christ's sake. Hmm. 
I see a question here that's worth looking at, that, that's worth discussing. Um, We're going to get to all Richard of them, but Wallace. you go right ahead. That's Gail's yeah, job. This, uh, we need. We, oh, okay. We, I'm sorry, Gail. I didn't mean to. Gail, something. To Mark. Don't take my job away. No, just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's I, tempting. It I know. Feel we, special. Yeah, it's tempting to answer when you see those questions, though. All right. This is a comment. This is from Richard Grove, whom we're so happy to have join us. He said, really looking forward to hearing Mark Gaffney. His book, Black 9-11, is a Rosetta Stone of 9-11 financing and qui bono. Wow. A Rosetta Stone. That's this book right here, Mark, uh, that that he's talking about. Black 9-11. You guys can get it on Amazon. What do you have to say about that? My friend, <laughs> quite the compliment well, uh, Richard Grove. Well, thanks to Richard. Yeah, he he's one of our key witnesses, uh, whistleblowers. So, you know. yeah, and a deep uh, uh, student of history uh, before and after nine eleven, and decades before nine eleven, yeah. and now decades after nine eleven. Exactly. All right. Next one. Two items for possible discussion. So we'll tackle the first one. $300, $300 billion in gold gone missing. That's up for discussion. Well, go ahead. Yes, uh, uh, Gail, would, let's, let's get to the next part of that because I think it's more interesting. Okay. About the insurance. Sounds good. When in your life did you ever hear of an insurance payout without an investigation? I had a fender bender last month and they investigated and decreased the payout by $600. Huh. So right. Well, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty obvious if the official narrative is correct about the collapse of the world trade center, the insurance industry would have raised their, uh, you know, standards again. And the, all the premiums would have gone up for high rise steel buildings. Did that happen, they, Richard? You're the you're yeah, the they architect. did. Yeah, the the insurance companies made out very well because of that very reason. So they did uh, go up, um, and of course, uh, we we're crying foul for the whole thing. Uh, but yeah, they did. Okay, but uh, on uh, on the gold. Um, I have heard again and again over the last two decades that there was a major gold heist uh, underneath building six, uh, the treasury department. I don't think that vault that, that um, I don't know, but I don't think that vault would have held $300 billion in gold. Uh, It wasn't that big of a room that he was photographing there. Uh, Kurt Sonnenfeld and, uh, what, what if anybody else knows uh, more uh, data about the gold heist that was alleged to have occurred, uh, like a, like a half-empty truck that was stuck in the basement of the World Trade Center? Where's the uh, the details on that, uh, Mark? Have you found any? I've heard the same story, Richard, and I don't have any uh, anything new to add to that. Okay. You know what? Uh, I have a question for you before we go on the E4Bs. You wrote a whole book on this subject. Could you could you let us know what the in, in, 
what is the E4B? What is its importance over the White House uh, on the morning of 9-11? What might it be? Why, why is it worthy of a whole book? Um, <clears throat> what did you find? Well, it was important, I thought, because we had the video footage of these planes over Washington that morning, and uh, it was never mentioned in the media, and the military denied that the planes were there. Oh. So we were able to prove that they were there, and uh, questions remain about what what they were doing. We don't know, but we, we did prove that the planes were in the air that morning. And the motto of that fleet, there's four of these planes. We've identified where each one of them was that morning. Mm. The motto of the, the Nighthawk fleet is, we see all. So this is a uh, plane, it's a flying Pentagon is what it is. Huh. This is a plane that can substitute for the Pentagon in the event of a war. And uh, uh, they can communicate with every U.S. military command worldwide, including uh, the submarine fleet. And this plane has a special uh, antenna that unrolls, at, trails behind the plane for those low uh, frequency uh, communications to submarines. Oh, okay. Very low frequency. Fascinating. So, so uh, and it's, these it's are light. not normally in the air at the time. Well, they're not normally in the air. Uh, I mean, you would think over Washington would be a great place for them to be. Are they always in the air or are they... Hardly ever in the air. They were two of the planes were at Andrews that morning and they took off, you know, uh, <clears throat> basically bookmarked the Pentagon strike one before and one after. And uh, one flew on to Offutt and joined up with the president. Uh, the other one, I'd have to refresh my recollection with, you know, to tell you where it flew, ended up at, but. Uh, so these are uh, surveillance planes, command and control planes, just packed full of uh, electronic equipment and uh, hardened against EMPs. You know, they, they're so these planes have uh, fiber optic wiring instead of regular wiring. Very expensive uh, uh, planes. Fascinating. So um, they shouldn't have been up in the air at that time? Well, we don't know. You know, nobody knows, Richard. These are uh, these are questions we don't have answers for. Okay. So we're just documenting that they were up there and uh, that they're capable of incredible uh, surveillance and perhaps control of the aircraft on that day, maybe. <clears throat> okay. All right, next question. Mark, do you know anything about the rumor of a gold heist from the World Trade Center? Oh, shoot. I, I preempted think we've already that one. covered that. <laughs> yeah. No, I we don't know. If you guys do know, let us know, and we'll uh, post it uh, 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 real clearly. All right. I'm behind in the stream, but I'm seeing talk of building six, which I think definitely doesn't get enough attention. 
Well, building six, we did discuss, uh, and we will show, if we can find it, an image uh, of it for you. Here it is. Um, right there. And, uh, of course, in the aftermath of 9-11, uh, it looks like to, to me that we have, and you tell me what you think, um, uh, Mark, because... Uh, Let's see. We have um, we we have what looks like explosions taken out uh, of these buildings in various places, and not in others. Uh, of course, in the middle we have a huge crater that looks to be as, as deep as the building is, which I, I believe is uh, four or five stories. Uh, Mark, you have a com more comments on Building Six? My only comment is astonishment that this did not get more attention because this photo we're looking at now, it looks to me to be evidence of an explosion of, of a, you know, huge explosion in that building. Now you can't explain that from uh, plane impacts in my opinion, or fires. So. <laughs> yeah. Building six was not hit by a plane. Uh, it did have some fires. Um, but uh, all, all, a lot of the buildings did, if not all of them, around uh, the World Trade Center, even Building 7. Uh, the ends of the beams uh, flying out of the World Trade Center were trailed by thick white smoke clouds. I mean, they, office fires don't burn steel beams. The, the temperatures aren't that hot. We're required, and and, and the, the, the firefighters described molten metal uh, uh, and, and red hot steel uh, on the ends of the of the beams, uh, and so well, tell us about uh, that um, in any other context other than a controlled demolition with incendiaries uh, cutting these beams. So it's uh, it becomes real clear uh, what's happened here. Mark, you have any comments on on that? No, I agree with you, and uh, this uh, is one of the loose ends that, you know, it's still hanging there, <clears throat> calling yeah. for an investigation. Yeah. Back to you, Gail. All right. Richard Wallace comments about it. it. says, Building 6 was evaporated inside, leaving the walls partially intact. Which is his evaluation. Well... The, the the center half of the building uh, is 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 completely destroyed. The 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 uh, donut around it uh, is partially destroyed severely on the right side, and uh, not as severely on the left. Okay, back to you again. All right, was the nine eleven plot decades in the making? Well, that's a matter of a question of opinion. What do you think, Richard? I, uh, I think the serious planning <clears throat> started no later than 98, possibly or before that. My, this is my opinion. Yeah, we had a guest um, uh, on the show um, that uh, gave some insight into this issue. Um, why am I spacing? 
the name Gail helped me. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to ask. <laughs> my memory's worse than yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ask yeah. my kids. <laughs> yeah, we need a complete um, list of our guests. Um, at our fingertips. Yes. I, I'll, I'll think of it when the pressure's off of me. Um, okay. But yeah, it was it was a uh, 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 very clearly uh, uh, a decade in advance. Um, this was Tom Scott Gordon, by the way, uh, the architectural photographer who was hired in 1987 when Building Seven was topped out. He was hired by the architect of record for the World Trade Center. They had a dozen people working on a large project. The project was to provide scaffolding down below on the plaza deck. Uh, and because they had a huge problem of galvanic corrosion in the connections between the aluminum cladding around the towers and the steel. And it was all going to be, there, there was, there was, large risks of, of this material coming off and hitting people. So it was called the Bridgeways Project. Well, this was uh, a long time in, 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 in development. And when he came, he was tasked with uh, photographing all the buildings around and outside the towers from different perspectives. And this, uh, this project was abruptly terminated on a specific day uh, in 1987, uh, his, his project, as well as the project of all the architects, they were brought into the room by very important uh, people that uh, none of them recognized. They were told to sign non-disclosure agreements and did never talk about the project ever. Uh, and it was a very serious thing. They were, they were uh, bullied. Uh, by the, this, this group of suits. So um, since then, he's been talking about it and he talked about it. You can see it on our website, richardgage911.org. Uh, Tom Scott Gordon, uh, a very recent uh, couple, well, last week, uh, we, we, we brought him on. It was a fascinating discussion. So the reason, now we can speculate why that project uh, to fix the building was abruptly stopped because, uh, as we speculate, there was a, a decision to do to, to fix it in a different way. And we're looking at the after effects of that in Building 6 right now, um, giving uh, asbestos uh, contamination to the entire city of New York almost and uh, killing more people uh, since 9-11. Uh, then died on 9-11. Asbestos and carbon nanotubes from nanothermite, uh, which we had another guest on discuss that, uh, J uh, Niels Herrett. So anyway, that's my comment about that. Do you have any follow-up on that? Richard? Yeah. Um, the, the date you mentioned, 1987, is curious because if memory serves... <clears throat> that is the year that Chris Bolin uh, mentions in his research uh, that the Israelis were obsessed with the World Trade Center towers and that he thinks they hatched a plan uh, that early, you know, way back in the 1980s, and that this was a long-term thing. 
Yeah. The dates appear to match. Um, but um, fascinating. <clears throat> right. So take it for what you will. Yeah. And we're trying to get uh, Chris Boleyn on the show. So um, anybody who uh, can convince him to come on the show, we'd, we'd love to have him. We've asked him several times. Um, not much response. I think he's got his mind on other things. Okay. The plans for the new Building 7 were submitted to the city in April 2000. It has less square footage than the original. The only way to fund the construction was an insurance settlement. There's an opinion. Well, that's true. <clears throat> I mean, you, your buildings get destroyed, and all of a sudden you have <clears throat> no money to build new buildings, so you... You put massive insurance on them before they get destroyed, and then you take a major payoff times two. In the case of Larry Silverstein, uh, four point five, no, four point six eight billion dollars he walks away with for two terrorist attacks, and uh, uh, does does very well. Of course, he just he just took ownership of the buildings uh, six weeks prior to 9-11 uh, in a $3.2 billion offer on the remaining six World Trade Center buildings. He had already built Building 7 uh, in the mid-80s, in, in 87. So he, uh, he did very well. I mean, these buildings were only half occupied by researchers other than myself who who've discovered that uh, they were needed uh, billions of dollars in improvements in mechanical electrical communication systems and asbestos abatement, probably, well, five to $10 billion the estimates we've heard. We, we bought the building for only 3.2 billion, <clears throat> the buildings. So uh, they were white elephants. People weren't, people were moving into the more modern buildings. These, these were topped out in 73, the World Trade Center towers. So uh, the, the Port Authority was forced to move there. They could, before Silverstein bought the buildings from them. And, <clears throat> and they, they needed somebody to move in there and pay some rent. But they were money losers, big money losers. Mark? That's my understanding also. And um, uh, the, um, they, were, they were a engineering um, phenomenon. I mean, I studied the construction of these buildings and man, they were state of the art. There's no question about it. But they did not look, they were not, when they built them, they did not think about the uh, internet the computer world and you know they were not wired for that so like you said it would have been a huge upgrade very expensive to bring those two uh, tall buildings into the uh our our present world you know with the internet and the uh, computer world yeah plus the floor to ceiling height was only 12 feet so excuse me floor to floor height 12 feet that made the floor to ceiling height nine feet and because they weren't built for modern, uh, all the wires that have to run, they, they have to build a false floor over the top of the 
floors in, in most of these um, offices. And so that only gave them about seven feet of ceilings, which is extremely uncomfortable, especially for the wide uh, open office uh, planning uh, that these buildings created with their long span <clears throat> steel floor, open web steel floor joists. So, so the, you, you have 60 feet of open office on, on, on two sides of this building uh, by the, by 200 feet. And yet it's only seven feet tall in, in many of these offices. Plus then uh, the, the exoskeleton uh, was there, there's more steel than glass on the exterior sides of these buildings. It's, 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 uh, it, it, it was outdated very quickly when it, in the 80s and 90s when open window vistas uh, to the cityscape below uh, and other nearby uh, buildings popping up uh, attracted the tenants uh, much, much more so for that, for that reason as well. So, yeah, uh, none of this, of course, is being investigated as, as financial motive. Uh, because the insurance agency AIG, who we discovered last in, in, in from uh, one of our very recent guests, Jeremy Reese, um, he, 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 they had sold the insurance policy that Larry Silverstein had bought from them to Swiss Re Reinsurance, Swiss Re is a reinsurance uh, uh, outfit from from uh, Europe. So the, the risk was transferred off to Europe. And why didn't they scream? Well, maybe they were taken care of too. We They were one of the, actually, Mark, you might recall this from the investigation, the limited investigation that the commission report did on the put options. Swiss Re was one of those who, uh, had uh, uh, involvement in the put options. I think Mark Chesney made me aware of that. Okay. All right. Next question. Were there not military drills dealing with planes being used as weapons that day? There were a number of drills. Uh, many. Uh, drills uh, going on, and uh, undoubtedly this was part of the plan. You know, part of the to create a tremendous amount of confusion uh, at the FAA, and uh, nobody knew what was real and what was, uh, you know, a, a a exercise. So the. You know, there was that helped to prevent the proper uh, response by uh, NORAD and the, uh, you know, and so, yes, of course, that was part of it. In fact, Barbara Honiger, uh, probably our first guest on Richard Gage 9-11 Unleashed, discussed uh, 41 uh, drills, uh, and some of which did indeed. Uh, were, were documented as as uh, addressing uh, hijacked airplanes and possibly 
intended to hit targets. Um, and and uh, I've got to review that uh, specific uh, interview, but uh, that's on our website too, richardgage911.org. And uh, I encourage everybody, while you're visiting our website, be sure to become a member of Richard Gage 911. Uh, you can do that for $7 a month. Gail, if you could join this organization for $7 a month, would you? Absolutely. Yes, I would. <laughs> she she, uh, she joined it for a whole lot more than that. We both uh, donate our life savings uh, into this organization to make sure that it can uh, survive and thrive. And if we're doing what you guys uh, need us to be doing, then you need to be aware that we need you to help us do it. Uh, because uh, without you, um, we, we can't uh, uh, do what we need to do. Maybe, maybe you wish you could, you know, get the word out and speak around the world uh, like, um, like I've done for 15 years and like Gail and I are doing now around the country. But you can't do that. But you know what you can do? You can become a member of Richard Gage 911 so that we can do it. If you think we're doing a good job, then we need you to show that to us with some love, like Gail said. And uh, that comes in many forms. One of the forms we need is your financial support. You can make a one-time donation also right on our website, $10, $50, $100 or more. It's easy to do, right, Gail? Yes, it is. Where do, where do they go? Well, on our website, you can click on the button under actions that says donate. And you can donate via PayPal or, of course, a debit or credit card. And what are the other ways? Oh, cryptocurrency. Oh, that's right. Yes. I should have remembered that. Yes, we just yep. returned from that conference. That's right there yes. in the upper right on our website. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to help us. And boy, do we need your help. It's an mm -hmm. urgent need. Uh, uh, we we uh, we started all over. I had 80,000 on my email list, Mark, when I left AE 911 Truth. Well, when I was asked to leave AE 911 Truth because I needed to expand the spectrum of issues that we're covering here beyond just the World Trade Center towers, though we focus on that. And yes, uh, I did uh, make that move. And yes, we now have uh, about a tenth of the email support and the financial support that we had. So we're starting all over. We need your help, guys. Hey, did I cover it, Gail? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> what do you think, Mark? You think we're doing a good job? Silence. I, I think you are. You know, this is the pattern with people who start organizations. Same thing happened to David Brower, you know, uh, founded the you know, Sierra Club. And then he went on and founded the When he got invited out of there, he went to found the Friends of the Earth. And then when he was invited out of there, he went and did another one. So Earth oh. Island Institute. So, you know, this is a familiar pattern, Richard. 
I like the way you put that. I, I was invited out of AE 911 Truth. <laughs> That's beautiful. Very tactful. Yes. Any more questions, Gail? Uh, yes. Um, the NYNY Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas opened in 1997. Do you think it's suspicious that they never included the Twin Towers in their buildings? Oh, my gosh. So the New York, New York Hotel in Las Vegas was built when somebody looked that up for us and let Gail know. Uh, 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 so obviously it was before 2001. So the towers were there because I went before 2001 and we visited New York, New York in Las Vegas. And I didn't think to look for the Twin Towers. Why would they not have been there? Mark, do you have any comments on that? I don't have any information about that, Richard. Sorry. Have you been to Las Vegas? I have and uh, wanted to get out as soon as I got there. So, <laughs> I you know, don't blame I you. A place like go. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So uh, somebody let us know when New York, New York Hotel in Las Vegas was happening, uh, when it was built. <clears throat> okay. Next question. Now, I'll bet you. Wait a minute. Now, I bet you the decision to take down the towers was made in 87, immediately prior to that meeting, because they called all these architects who were working on this major project uh, regarding scaffolding, as I mentioned, uh, off the project at that time, very abruptly, very forcefully. So I'm guessing that it was after uh, 87 but before 2001, that New York, New York was built and that they knew. Don't count on these towers being there for a lifetime. Let's, or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's several other buildings that were more modern in New York, New York, and they just wanted it to be the old classic New York without the modern skyscrapers at all. Were there any modern skyscrapers? I just don't remember. All I don't right. know. I've never been to Las Vegas, so I couldn't tell you. All right. We'll go to the next question and we'll look it up on the internet here while we can show our viewers uh, how how good we are on internet research here. <laughs> All right. Was March was Marsh McLennan shut down as a company after 9-11? Where its as were its assets transferred to another company? It was not shut down, as far as I know, and um, I believe that uh, later the uh, Jeffrey Greenberg was forced out because of, uh, you know, illegal activity that they were. Actually, it was Elliot Spitzer that uh, investigated Marsha McLennan later, and uh, that's as much as I know. I don't know. I don't know if it still exists. It probably does, but. I don't have any current information about it. Okay. Opening date, 1997. Four years before, five years, uh, or was that four? Before uh, 2001. 
So four years before, I'm guessing that they knew the forthcoming. Well, pe- people who finance projects like this are in the know. I mean, this is this is deep state stuff. Um, uh, almost all of Las Vegas is, which is why Mark had to get out of there. Never felt <laughs> comfortable there either. Anyway, let's uh, find out. Uh, let's get a picture of it and uh, look for the Twin Towers also and other modern skyscrapers uh, or not. Um, go ahead, Gail. All right. Well, and some of our viewers, one is saying that the construction began in 1995 and it was opened in 1997. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look at this. This looks like Building oh, 7 goodness. on the right. They've got Building 7, interestingly enough, in there, but not the Twin Towers. Now, that that is not an exact replica uh, or of building seven because it had a punched windows on the sides, but something that looks like building seven there anyway, and other modern skyscrapers, but not the twin towers. Or is this uh, piece, this building on the right, is that uh, supposed to, it looks like the twin towers, right? Um, it looks like it, but it's too short. It's too short. It's like wait, yeah. a, third, <laughs> a third of the, uh, Okay. Anyway, I think we're onto something here, you guys. Um, they knew in advance. There's plenty of modern skyscrapers here. They knew in advance. My goodness. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that to our attention. Who was that? <clears throat> Richard Wallace. He's an architect. He would bring up things like this. More questions, <laughs> Gail? Okay. Um well, there's a comment. Richard, maybe the fast, maybe the fastest way to get an investigation would be to get elected to Congress yourself. Oh my God! You ever thought of that? No. No. no I mean, it's a full time <laughs> job. I mean, we're, yeah. we're yes. we need somebody running for Congress who's willing to have somebody talk about nine eleven. Of course, we're willing to talk about nine eleven anywhere. Yes. All right. Did Robert Swan Mueller's appointment to the FBI have anything to do with 9-11? I know you're looking at the way it's spelled it in the name Mueller. It's got a 9-11 in there. <laughs> and Swan, is that his real name or is that a cut? Uh, Robert oh, Mueller. I don't know. Uh, appointment to the FBI Mueller. M-E-U, Mueller, yeah. But it's spelled M-E-M-U-9-1-1-E-R. <laughs> Robert Mueller. Mueller. <laughs> Uh, he was uh, brought in to run the FBI following 9-11, or just immediately preceding 9-11. Uh, I'm sure it had everything to do with 9-11 myself. Uh, Mark, you want to help us with that one? Well, I believe he has a reputation as a fixer, you know, a guy who follows orders and and uh, uh, arranges the desired outcome. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, he, he, there's a whole history there. Gil? Yes. So um, Mick Harrison is viewing and he says, check your email regarding New York, New York from Wiki. So there's going to be some 
uh, information, uh, WikiLeaks about it, looks like, that Mick's directing us towards. Well, how about that? Uh, if Mick, if Mick, <laughs> oh, oh, you know, I don't see an email from Mick. Uh, oh. Mick Harrison is the litigation, here it is, is the litigation director for the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry, an incredible group of a dozen attorneys who are taking the evidence of 9-11 to court. And they've got several legal actions. I'm involved in a couple of them, at least. And being on the board of Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry myself now, uh, I, I'm, I'm privy to how hard these people work and how dedicated they are. And we have a film project, as I mentioned, we're working hand in hand, partnering with the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And Mick and I are going to be featured in the courtroom, putting together the evidence of the World Trade Center destruction for the grand jury. And this film, which we'll be making along with other experts and bringing them in, uh, will be made uh uh, with the grand jury in mind, we'll be looking right into the camera, getting this evidence and, and the legal framing. Mick will be framing the the the, the, the legal uh, aspects of the evidence. What does it mean? What is a crime? What is your role? Who who might you subpoena? Persons of material interest. This is going to be an incredible film, and uh, we need your support in making this film too. It's a hundred twenty thousand dollar project. So if you've got a hankering to support films and co-produce them, uh, or you or this one particularly, uh, we need your support. We've raised forty thousand dollars, and we've got eighty thousand to go. So what uh, Mick has given us um, the the details here uh, about. Uh, in fact, I'm going to give them to you. This is this is. Uh, what you get when uh, Mick Harrison gets involved, you you get lots of details, mm -hmm. and <laughs> indeed, um, the opportunity is endless to learn things. Uh, can I go right? Yeah. Uh, so, what he says is, well, not Mick, but Wikipedia, that um, it's owned by Vici Properties operated by MGM Resorts, designed to evoke New York City and its architecture. Um, the Statue of Liberty, the Empire State Building, the tallest building in Nevada. Uh, the, 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 its completion. Oh, it was the tallest building in Las Vegas until the Wynn uh, Hotel in 2005. Um, includes the Big Apple uh, roller coaster, of course. Um, Construction began in 1995 and was finished in 97. Anyway, my suspect antennas are up. What about you, Mark? Is this the area complex or is that something different? I think it's something different. I haven't heard of it by that name. Yeah, I'm not familiar with this uh, New York, New York in Las Vegas. I'm sorry. Can't comment. Don't know anything about it. But thank you, Mick, for bringing this to our attention. Uh, yes. Great information. Uh, somebody knew that they didn't need the Twin Towers. I mean, that's the most, af not the best buildings, probably the ugliest buildings, given that they're squares that they've extruded until they became the tallest buildings in the world in 1973. Um, uh, but it's the most iconic architecture 
other than the Statue of Liberty and the Empire State Building of, of New York, maybe the Chrysler Building. And they're missing. They knew they weren't going to be there in about four years. That's my speculation. They don't <laughs> okay. pay me to speculate, so I'll stop there. How about another question? Oh. Maybe. Okay. Let's do it. <laughs> Are Bill Barr and Robert Mueller cover-up artists for these sorts of government happenings? You know, 9-11, Oliver North, and guns for weapons? That's for you, Mark. Well, you'd have to say yes. I think we already mentioned that. Yep, and Bill Barr alluded to it. Has a history of of cover-ups uh, before he was ever brought into the Trump administration. Maybe he turned a new leaf. I don't know. Uh, but we're not going to wax political on this show. <laughs> um, Mark, you've been awesome. I appreciate your your presence here so much and, and thank you. We're, we're so grateful to have you and, and your wonderful book, uh, black nine 11, get it at amazon.com or your local bookstore, preferably Mark, uh, final words and where can people, uh, reach you? I, I don't have a problem giving my email address. Uh, it's Mark H, as in Howard Gaffney, at earthlink.net. And um, uh, I check out my new book, my latest book, uh, Deep History in the Ages of Man. It will. Well, uh, what is that? Uh, tell us some more about that book since you whetted our appetite there. Uh, Deep History and the Ages of Man. That's right. Uh, we are, uh, you know, uh, it was mind-boggling to me. I had to unlearn a lot of things, uh, you know, uh, examine my own limiting beliefs and unexamined assumptions about our what we've been taught and told, you know, about human history and our past, because it's almost all wrong. You know, almost everything we know, we think we know about our past is wrong. And I think human origins is the most interesting subject of all, you know, and so it was incredibly exciting what I learned and uh, our we have evidence that ancient civilizations have existed uh, side by side um, Aboriginal peoples and native peoples and hunting and gathering peoples for tens of thousands of years. Uh, the timeline has been pushed way back and we have uh, thanks to the research done in, the bone caves of England, we have a record going back a hundred and over 120,000 years and uh, five separate stratigraphic layers uh, have been identified showing that uh, England went through in the Emi in 120,000 years ago, it was subtropical. There were hippopotamuses living in the Thames, Thames River, in, where London is now, 120,000 years ago. And then it went through a <clears throat> temperate period, 
a long temperate period, and then it went through an ice age, a cold period, then another long temperate period. And my offering in the book is to show that each one of these five layers and periods correlates with a different pole position, that the crust of the earth has moved uh, multiple times over this time frame. Hmm. So there are these cataclysmic events, earth changes that happen at great intervals of time. And the question is, what is causing this? And we don't know. We still don't know. But it's very fascinating. Yeah, it sounds fascinating. <laughs> so uh, where do they get that book? A deep, uh, say it again. Also at Amazon. If you search my name, Mark H. Gaffney at Amazon, these books will come up. All right. And, and that book is called The Deep History. Deep right? History and the Ages of Man. And the Ages of Man. Awesome. Mark, thank you. I appreciate it so much. And we'll catch up with you again soon, I am sure. Yes. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, you, Gail. You're welcome. And there he goes, uh, (laughs) Gail. uh, We've we've got another incredible podcast under our belt, and we (laughs) march forward. Dave Morgan is on Tuesday, is he? Or Thursday? He is, excuse me, uh, in June. So he is. Oh, we got next week to. Uh, yes. We're going to try to get, we're, since we're speaking in San Antonio next week at mm-hmm. the fourth annual advanced medicine conference under Dr. Rashid Batar, who has incredible doctors. I mentioned them earlier, mm-hmm. uh, challenging the official narrative of the disease going around. Um, we, are going to be speaking to a thousand doctors and you and I are going to be giving uh, brochures and and educating people in our booth. Um, I'm mentioning this for a reason and it slipped me. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Um, You're human. Just like the rest of the San Antonio. And so, Oh, you can get a discount. Um, Yeah. Uh, oh, I, what I was going to mention was that we're going to be uh, t- uh, tonight working on inviting uh, these doctors to come on to our show, not on YouTube, but we have 10 other platforms. Uh, don't want to lose our YouTube platform, but the reason 10 other platforms exist is because they've incredible censorship on YouTube. So we'll be bringing, um, uh, we'll be able to talk about C O. V I C and and some of the things you haven't seen perhaps um well you've never seen them here uh or uh much in the 9-11 truth movement but uh, we got to connect the dots it's real important yes. don't you think oh absolutely i completely agree why yes well because my belief is that the perpetrators of 9-11 are the very same ones who are inflicting all of what's going on with humanity right now, the crimes against humanity. Mm. Hopefully that with won't the get addition of What? I'm trying to be careful the words I choose so I oh. don't get a, another yeah. strike. Well, we got Big Pharma added to the mix. We didn't have them with 9-11. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the World Health Organization... Careful. Uh, the, 
You can't say CDC. I mean, come on. No, you, I, well, I think it draws attention from their, you know, their algorithms okay. and their bots and everything. I'll, I'll just say, I'll just say the word, the, the letters, CDC, <laughs> WHO. Nobody will know what we're talking about. <laughs> Anyways, yes. But it anyway. is important. We do need to connect the dots and we need to be as awake and aware as possible. Oh my God, um, yes. In this world that we, crazy world we live in right now. It's and so it's, true. Yes, it's it's our each, it's up to each one of us individually to educate ourselves. It's our own personal responsibility to really take the time and the effort to research and dig through. You know, you might find information that, you know, you might look at it or read it and go, no, nah, that doesn't really resonate with me or it doesn't sound right, but it doesn't matter. It's it's worth it to take the time to research and really try to decide for yourself what you believe. Yeah, very, very important point. Thank you. You're welcome. And with that, uh, we'll uh, say goodbye to you guys. And uh, thank you so much. We'll see you back uh, soon, uh, Tuesday yes. afternoon for another episode of Richard Gage, 9-11. Yes. Unleashed. Bye.